Good morning. Isn't the Lord good? Amen. Say this with me. I know God is good. Say it like you mean it this time. I know God is good. And I know His Word is truth. Truth, not true, truth. Jesus said in John 17, Father, Thy Word is truth. Amen. You know, there's a great difference between true and truth. I've had a lot of my friends over 40-some-odd years, almost 50 years now, say, it's kind of like Terry Myers says, God's good and His Word is true. And I said, no, 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 I've never said in my whole life God's Word is true. Jesus said, Father, Thy Word is truth. Truth, absolute truth. We're living in an America today that doesn't believe in absolute truth anymore, but this missionary really believes in absolute truth, that the Word is, is truth. Jesus said it. If Jesus said it, then, then I buy it whole hog. Amen. And there's a vast difference between true and truth. It may be true the devil's picking on you. It may be true. It may just be a fact that some symptoms have come. Or you've uh, received a bad diagnosis from a doctor. Or you've received an ultimatum or declaration from a, from a family member or an employer or the government. I mean, those things all may be true. But you can go into the truth and find out what the truth says about your situation and slap it up against that thing that's just a fact, that's just true, and change it to where it's no longer true. Amen? Amen. Truth is the only thing that changes truth. Amen? Amen? Truth changes facts. Truth trumps true every time. So say it again. I know God is good, and I know His Word is truth. You believe that? Well, if you believe that, you can be seated. You know, that's been a great, great, great relief to me and delight to me and a refreshing to me all my life, and especially the last 47 years of third world missionary evangelism when I'm in countries where people are trying to kill me. It's, 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 it's wonderful to know I can always go back into the truth. Doesn't matter what's going on. Doesn't matter what the true, what's, what's true or what's fact. I can always go into the truth and find out what it says about my situation and begin to use that as a weapon and a tool begin to use that and uh, change the facts. Amen. So if you don't ever remember anything else this missionary tells you, remember those two things. God's a good God. And that His Word is absolute truth. Thank God for truth. I don't know about you, but I'm a truth uh, fanatic. I love truth. Thank God for truth. Amen. And uh, this we're living in a day and age where we really, really need truth. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of a lot of darkness, lots of obscurity, lots of things that are shadowed and, and not too transparent. But we can always go to the truth and uh, find out what's going on and what we need to do. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you. It's a delight to be with you here at Foothill Family Church today. And Mike and Beth Webb are tremendous, dear friends, longtime friends, wonderful ministers of the gospel, capable ministers of the gospel. And uh, Beth and I were back and forth uh, this week on, on uh uh, instant messenger and talking back and forth while they're in Colorado and, and I said you know the only downside to me if you come in this week is just you guys aren't going to be here but uh, a lot of pastors do have me come in and cover their church whenever they're not in town and that's always an honor for me to do that I, I'm delighted to do that and I don't know if that's because they trust me or because they don't like me and don't want to see me but one, <laughs> one, one, one or the other they uh, uh, that seems to happen a lot so uh, uh, I am uh, I am delighted to be here it's always a delight to be here and and uh, it's excited to teach people the Word that are excited about the Word and that are looking forward to the Word. And I'm glad you're here. God sure likes Sunday morning Christians. 
and uh, he sure likes Sunday night Christians. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have many of them anymore, but he really, really likes Sunday night Christians. And then the Wednesday night Christians, he's just over the top about because uh, there's not many of those around anymore. And, and uh, that's one thing that's wrong with the church today, which is what's wrong with America today because in any nation of the world, as goes the church, goes the nation. If the church is strong and healthy, the nation will be strong and healthy. If the church is weak and in a mess, the nation will be weak and in a mess. And that, I don't know about y'all, but this is not your grandfather's America. This is not the America I grew up in. It's in the biggest mess I've ever seen it in my entire life. But then the church is weaker and in more trouble than I've ever seen it in my life. Amen, Brother Terry. That's a really good word. I appreciate you sharing that with us this morning. You know, the church used to be a strong, powerful force in this nation. And it can be again. In fact, it will be again. There's no question about that. No question about that. It's just the, it's just the sad thing about it is um, I've had people ask me for decades and decades and decades, Brother Terry, what, what does America need? What would turn America on? What would turn America to the church? What would turn America to God? What, what, what do we need to do in the church to really get strong? And I've always said, well, I can tell you the answer, but you won't like it. You know, it's amazing what a little persecution will do. And it's amazing what a little fear will do. And uh, these are the days for both. And the church is going to be persecuted more and more and more, even from Washington, D.C. And uh, the more persecution we get, uh, oddly enough, Christians will get stronger. And people will begin to stand up and say, you know what, we're not, we're not uh, uh, you know, we're, we're Christians. We're going we're to stand our ground. Amen. Amen. I remember in 1968, I was in the jungles of Panama as a missionary living with an Indian tribe that didn't wear clothes. And, uh, and we lived wildcat style, no catch, no eat. If I shot a monkey, we ate monkey. If I shot a parrot, we ate parrot. And somebody was showing me a nice, beautiful macaw bird the other day. You know, they cost about $2,500. Beautiful reds and blues and greens and all this stuff. And I just sat there and thought, I, I hate to tell these people that I've eaten these things, you know. <laughs> I've had some pretty expensive meals, you know, going out in the, going out in the jungle and shooting a few macaw birds and then having a, having a meal. But you understand there was no, oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven or... or no McDonald's, you deserve a break today, or none of that kind of stuff. It was just, uh, it, was either, it was either shoot something and eat or not shoot something and starve. So, uh, but anyway, while I was there, uh, I went into the, uh, came out and uh, went into the canal zone, the Panama Canal Zone, and that's back when the United States owned it and we were stronger in that area, and we had a whole bunch of military forces there, and, and uh, uh, that, that, that changed, sadly, a long time ago. But, uh, but anyway, the... Uh, the government of Panama passed a law the year I was down there, passed a law and said no flag can be flown in Panama higher than the Panamanian flag. And rightly so, you understand that's their country. But, you know, here was the canal zone, which was America. And uh, the canal zone had not only the military there, but had high school students there. And, you know, these high school students, they had never thought about the flag in their entire life. But all of a sudden, when somebody said, you can't do it. And so what happened is the, the, the military in the zone, the, the American authorities there in the zone, said, well, we're not going to fly the American flag lower than another flag. We've always fly the American flag higher than any other flag. So we just won't fly a flag, period. No flag. That was their answer. Let's just, let's just have no flag. Well, but then you got high school kids. And high school kids said, we've been going to school under this flag all our lives. We're not going to stop now. So they all met at the pole and ran the flag up and caused a big riot in Panama. But they did it day after day after day until finally the U.S. authorities said, eh, forget what Panama wants. We're just flying the flag higher than 
anybody else. So that little persecution changed things. And uh, I remember when 9-11 happened, when I, was, uh, I was in Ukraine on 9-11. I, I left the States on the 10th and arrived the morning of the 11th, the morning Ukraine time, or the afternoon Ukraine time, early morning in, in America. Uh, on the morning of the 11th, and at the air, airport, uh, right after I'd gone through customs immigration, uh, I saw a television there in the airport, and I saw the second plane hit the second building and thought, dear God, we're under a terrorist attack. And so I went to my hotel room and took out my, my laptop, and I, I sat down and sent emails to every pastor I knew, and I, and I know lots and lots of pastors, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors. And so I, I sent emails to every pastor in America, and I said, this, this Sunday, your church will be full. Amazing what a little fear will do for you. This Sunday, your church will be full. I said, I don't know how long that's going to last because I don't know how long the fear is going to last, but as long as the fear is there, the church will be full. So this Sunday, you're going to have a full house. So take advantage of that, pastors, and have your people stand up, stomp their foot, and declare in unison that that spirit of terrorism, because terrorism is a spirit, that spirit will not, will not, will not, will not invade our house. If this is our house, this is our country, we're not putting up with that here. And see, you need to understand that terrorism is a spirit. I've been dealing with the spirit of terrorism long before 9-11, long before America knew what it was. I've had to deal with that spirit. And, 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 and because it is a spirit, then it can't be handled militarily. Now, I'm for the military. Man, I bleed red, white, and blue. I, I, I served in the military. Uh, I'm a military guy. My philosophy is just kill them all and let God sort out his own, you know, <laughs> except the fact that I'm a missionary and I want them all to go to heaven. But... But uh, so I'm pro-military. No, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying the military can't handle terrorism because it's a spirit. See, our military in the United States military, we can whip any nation in the world. No, 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 no military in the world can stand up against our military. None, 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 bar none. But we're not dealing with militaries. And, and with the nation that we live in that's 3,000 miles across and 1,500 miles wide and oceans on two and a half sides uh, and a porous border across Mexico and a porous border across Canada. You know, we talk about the porous border across Mexico. We've got a 3,000-mile border across Canada that there's nobody there, right? And so the military can go whip any other military, no problem, but you can't stop one guy coming across the border or coming in on the boat with a dirty bomb, Right? Not in a free country. Now, you can in a communist country, and I go to a lot of the communist countries and have all my life, but in a communist country, they'd put a, they'd put a checkpoint in my neighborhood and your neighborhood and your neighborhood and your neighborhood and your neighborhood, and every time you took the kids to school, every time you went to the store to buy a jug of milk, they'd stop you and check you and stop you and check you and stop you and check you, and so, so they, they, can, they can maintain, they can stop that in a, in a communist nation. But you can't stop it in a free, in a free nation. Are you here? But the church can stop it. The church has stopped it all these years. It hasn't been Washington. Thank God for Washington. Thank God for the military. Thank God for what they've done. Thank God for what they're doing. I'm totally pro-military, you understand. I'm totally pro-America, you understand. I'm just saying the church, the church has the responsibility to stop terrorism because it's a spirit, and only the church knows how to handle the spirit. Sadly, many, much, much of the church doesn't know anymore how to handle the spirit, but, but, you know, the church does know how to handle demons. 
And so I, I told the pastor, you have your people stand up and you stomp your foot and you declare to that spirit of terrorism, not, no longer, no more, no more. That's it. That's, we're done. And, of course, you can see the history. From history, we haven't had anything else going on except the Boston, the Boston Marathon a few years ago. And, and, uh, and, and some of y'all are my personal friends and some of y'all are my personal partners. And I write you a letter every month and you send me offerings and pray for me. And I write you letters every month. And you'll, you'll notice about probably four or five times a year I'll say in your letter, I'll say, uh, don't, don't, don't get lethargic. Don't, don't get sleepy. Don't, don't, don't forget. Uh, don't, don't forget. Now, the church needs to stay vigilant. So the church... Throughout history, the churches had a problem with staying vigilant. They couldn't even pray with Jesus for an hour. You know, Jesus came back and said, what is it, guys? You can't even pray an hour? What's the deal? And, and, but the church has a history of, of praying about something and then forgetting about it and go on, and, uh, and, and you can't do that with demons. Isn't that right? And so we have to stay vigilant. And every now and then, we, we tend to just go to sleep at the wheel. Are you here? Amen. Y'all ready to get into the word this morning? What would you do? What would you do? If they came to your house tomorrow, because this is happening all over the world. Other nations right now, people are coming to your front door, knocking on the door and saying, are you a Christian? And if you say yes, They either kill you on the spot or tell you you either convert to Islam or die. And your wife dies and your baby dies. Well, they're dying. They're being slaughtered. Shame on America for not doing something about that, but that's not the sermon today. But, but I, you know, it, it's, hard on a, it's hard on a Texan. I'm sure it's even hard on a Californian to watch women and children get slaughtered and not do something about it. Are y'all here? Yeah. I remember when I was just a teenager out in West Texas, and, and uh, the, the news came out. And, of course, back in those days, we only had three, three channels, you know, ABC, NBC, and CBS. But the, the, the news came out that some lady in New York City had been chased down the street by some guy, caught by her in broad daylight in front of all kinds of people, in broad daylight and just beat to a pulp, and nobody stepped in and helped. That was major news in America, and it shocked everybody's sensibilities and certainly shocked us Texans. It's like somebody hit a woman, and nobody did anything about it. Somebody chased her down the street and beat her up in front of a crowd, and nobody did anything. Well, that's not American. That's That's unheard of. And then we started that nonsense, which is also a spirit. We started that nonsense of, well, I don't want to be involved. Well, I don't want to get involved. They even have doctors and, and medical people that would like to get involved, but they say, I can't even get involved. There'll be lawsuits. Isn't that right? So we've kind of dumbed down a long way. But today, today, they're coming to the door and knocking and saying, are you a Christian? What would you do? Well, this is America, Brother Terry, they don't do that. Yeah, they didn't used to do that there either. What would you do? Are you a Christian? Is your wife a Christian? Is your baby a Christian? And those people believe in Jesus enough to say, we'll die for him. My position is, they don't have to. But, 
They don't have a pastor and a minister that tells them and teaches them the word that they don't have to. They just assume they have to because nobody's taught them spiritual authority. Nobody's taught them dominion. Nobody's taught them faith. They're just God-loving, Jesus-loving, sweet, precious little Christians that have very little word, very little teaching, very little training, but yet they're willing to give their lives for Jesus. But see, everybody that's murdered, everybody that's murdered that's a Christian isn't necessarily a martyr. Are you here? Father, in the name of Jesus, bless us this morning. Minister to us this morning. Take us into the treasure house of the Word of God, Holy Spirit, and boast of Jesus. Show us Jesus. Minister Jesus to us this morning. Take us right into the treasure house of the Word of God. Cause us to see into your Word, your will, your plan, your purpose, your promise, your purchases, and know how we're to live on planet Earth. Father, raise us from natural realms to supernatural realms and cause us to be able to have revelation, knowledge, full and free like a river in this place this morning and tonight. Thank you, Father, for dominion, authority. Thank you for being able to stop the wicked, uh, fiery darts of the enemy. Thank you for the shield of faith. Thank you for the, for the sword of the Spirit. Thank you that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and that we are victorious. We, we are designed by Almighty God to win, and we thank you for it. Minister to us by your spirit. Father, I pray that tonight uh, in the healing services that the anointing of God fall, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing. Your word says the anointing destroys the yoke of bondage. I pray that the destroying anointing, the destroying anointing fall in this house. The anointing that destroys cancer the anointing that destroys HIV and AIDS, the anointing that destroys leukemia and lupus and whatever, whatever disease that medical science has placed a Latin name on, that the anointing of God tonight destroys it. Doesn't just break it, doesn't just bend it, but it destroys that yoke. Every financial yoke, every marital yoke, every yoke that's represented in the house, that the anointing will destroy it, destroy it in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray not one person leave this place with a need unmet. We thank you for that. And we give you glory and honor, and we give you praise and majesty. We give you dominion. May we leave this place today with our head up and our shoulders back, realizing that we're bigger than we thought we were and better than we thought we were and can do more than we thought we could do because we're Christians, Christ-like ones, imitators of King Jesus. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, 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 amen. amen. Renee, stand up real quick. This is, this is Renee, my, my bride of only eight months. Thank you. Most of y'all know I was married to Jackie for 44 years, and uh, she ran off to heaven. And uh, Renee was married to my best friend, Dean Garner, for 44 years, and he ran off to heaven. We've been friends for 40 years, our families. They were on staff at Lakewood Church with John Osteen, Joel's daddy, uh, uh, 41 years ago. And Jackie and I, I met Dean and Renee and became fast friends. Our kids grew up together. We took vacations together and ministry together, and then they pastored in Corpus Christi, Texas for 38 years, and and uh, we actually moved there. Jackie and I moved there, and they were our pastors. And, and uh, we've just had a lot of fun together for years and years and years. And uh, Dean was the love of her life and the light of her life. And Jackie was the love of my life and the light of my life. But they ran off to heaven and left us lemons. <laughs> so we made lemonade and got married. 
And uh, some people say, oh, man, y'all sure didn't date very long. No, we, we, we knew each other for 40 years, you know. We, we went out to one dinner and two lunches and said, this is kind of ridiculous. Let's get married, you know. And uh, time's short. We've got things to do. But, uh, you know, she was married 44 years. I was married for 44 years. We've got 88 years of experience between the two of us. So, so um, anyway, I wanted you to meet her. And... Uh, She's a, she's a tremendous teacher of the Word and taught at Lakewood Church uh, ever, uh, with Joel Osteen every, every, uh, every week for the last 10 years. So she's been teaching the biggest church in America every week for the last 10 years. And now she runs around to the mission fields with me. And, and so anyway, you, y'all can get to know her and, and uh, love on her. But uh, look, uh, turn in your Bible. I tell you, I'm so... I'm so I've got so much stuff I want to get into today. Uh, now, the longest I've ever preached in one sermon is ten and a half hours. We'll uh, we'll do our best not to do that this morning, but but um, a lot of a lot of preach up here right now. Ten thirty. First Timothy six twenty. Paul had something on his heart pretty strong, and he wrote to his young pastor that he was mentoring, Paul the Apostle, writing to the pastor, Timothy. Timothy, keep that which is committed to your trust and avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Now, Paul's not against science. I'm not against science only when it contradicts the Word of God. Are you here? He said, avoid vain and, and, and uh, profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Verse 21, which some have professed, which some professing have, have erred concerning the faith. And then he, he, it was on his heart so much that he wrote to him in the next letter. 2 Timothy uh, 2, starting at verse 14, he said, of these things put them in remembrance, Timothy charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. You don't want to be striving about words that don't have any profit to them. Now, I know Mike Webb has taught you for decades about your words and the power of your words and the power of confession and what it means to say something and decree something and how, how you release faith is words and how God created the world was with words and, and with our words were justified, our words were condemned and you're snared by the words of your mouth and, 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 and 3,000 scriptures in the Bible about words, tongue, lips, so there's, God's got something going on about this, right? But here's what Paul's telling young Pastor Timothy, who ended up pastoring a mega church. And uh, he said, uh, They strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting. These words subvert the hearers. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of what? Truth. Is what Jesus say, Father, thy word is Truth. But shun or stay away from, run away from, avoid profane and vain babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as does a canker. And then he gives you a couple of examples about some guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and they overthrow the faith of some. And nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having the seal, and, and the Lord knows them that are heals, and so on, and so on, and so on. Now, Jesus, that's Paul's take on it, but Jesus talked about the very same thing. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 7, When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. 
for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now, Jesus said it. Paul said it. It must be worth talking about. Stay away from vain and repetitious babblings. Don't just go babbling on about stuff that, uh, and, and, and talking words that have no profit to them. Our words should mean something, and our words should have some profit. You know, back in, back in you know, I look out here and see Dale. Dale, stand up. Dale Winery, good friend of mine. Dale. Good morning. Stand up. Were you sleeping? Meditating? Good friend of mine. You was reading the scripture. I, I always think everybody's so spiritual when I'm talking. They're all... As a missionary, we don't have that, you know, in, in the jungle. So I, I'm always saying, what are they looking at? Anyway, thanks, Dale. Sit down. Good missionary, friend of mine, long years. Uh, missionary pilot, aviation man, flying in dangerous countries and doing stuff for God. But when, I, when, when guys of our age, guys of our generation, I see a few gray-headed guys in here. You know, uh, uh, pe- people of our age, words mean something. Kids today, words don't mean anything to them. That's not a slander to them or a slight to them. It's just, it's just the truth. Words don't mean anything to them. They, they say words they don't even hear themselves say. You know, in my day, if you call me some of the things the kids call their friends today, uh, you'd get a bust in the mouth and pick yourself up off the ground. If you said things about my wife or my mother that kids say today about their wives and mothers, you'd get busted and be on the ground. You understand? Because those words meant something. Are you here? You know, in, the, in, 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 most of the his, in most of history, especially in the West, Texas, California, all these out in the West, you, knew you never called a man a liar unless you were ready to go to the death. Because if a man was a liar, he was no count, no good. Are you here? If his word wasn't good, his bond wasn't good, you couldn't trust him. If you couldn't trust him, then your life's at danger. And so if, you, if anybody in those days ever called you a liar, man, it was, it was fighting sometimes to the death. You don't just call somebody a liar and walk away and smile about it and shake, shake hands. You don't do that. Not in that day because those words meant something. You called a guy a coward, same thing. Same thing. If you could depend on a guy, your life could be in danger. But, these, but, but our language today, kids today, man, they just say all oh, kind of crazy things and don't, don't even hear what they're saying. And yet words mean something, but those words that they're, they're just rattling off today, those are vain and repetitious babblings and words with no profit, which Jesus said don't do and which Paul said don't do. And to not only don't do it yourself, but to run from it, to shun it, to, to avoid it. Amen, Brother Terry, that's a good word. Well, thank you. You understand what I'm saying to you? Words carry things. Words are carriers. Words have meanings. Words mean something. And that's what Jesus knew, and that's what Paul knew, and that's why your pastors preached to you on it for years and years and years and years. Words are an important deal to the spirit world. Words are an important deal in heaven, and words are an important deal in hell. Every day you can either make headlines in the daily newspapers of heaven and you can make headlines in the daily newspapers of hell. Are you here? But words mean something. Are you with me? Vain and repetitious. Now, all religions, every religion, I go to all the religions of the world. Man, I'm, I'm with Hindus. Hindus have 330 million gods. That's a lot of gods. 330 million gods. Uh, I'm in Buddhist lands. I'm in Islam, lands of Islam. I'm in, I'm in, uh, you know, Shintoist lands. I'm in lands of, the, of, of uh, 
of animism, you know, I'm, I'm in all kind of religions and all kind of gods all the time. And every religion has some form of confession, chanting, reciting, declaring, saying something, humming. You know, last time I was in a Buddhist temple, you know, in, in Thailand, uh, the, the whole crowd that was in there just sat there cross-legged as they do in their services, no chair, just sitting on the floor, and they were all cross-legged and all had their hands down in their, in their lap, and they were all just, just together going, um, just like that. And that went on and on went on and went on and went on. And there's, there's always, in every religion, there's somebody telling you to say something. Why is that? Because it worked. It's a spiritual law. The devil knows it just like God knows it. Everything God's ever invented, the devil said, hey, that's great. I think I'll use that. I mean, God invented the dance. But the world said, hey, that's great. We think we'll take it and use it. And the church said, yeah, that's really bad. God invented singing. God invented music. God invented instruments. And the world said, hey, that's really great. We think we'll take it and use it. And the church said, that's really bad. Let's stay away from that. Are you all here? Everything God's ever, ever, ever invented. God invented marriage. God invented sex. And the world said, hey, this is really good. Let's use this. Then they pervert it like they pervert everything else. And the church said, oh, that's really bad. Let's stay away from that. Hello? Everything God's ever created works. And the devil said, that's really great. I'm going to use that and pervert it. And the church said, oh, I don't know about that. We better leave that alone. I remember when I was a little boy, you know, and televisions were invented, and, and most people that I knew and most people in my church didn't have a television, and the pastor called it a one-eyed demon and called it hellavision. <laughs> and do you know that the United States of America, when, they were invent- when the televisions were invented uh, and they were ready to go public with it, whenever, whenever the United States of America realized we can talk to every person in the country at the same time, then they were giving away TV station licenses. You could just come get one free for nothing. The church could have owned the TV stations. The church could have owned every license. But the church said, oh, no, oh, no, that's bad. We, we don't want that television. We don't want that one-eyed demon in our house. And it took going into the, you know, the 60s and 70s before some preacher finally said, hey, you know what, I could preach. And so preachers started paying the world to get on television to preach. Isn't that right? I'm sure that whenever typewriters came out, the church probably said, oh, no, those are bad. I know when the computer came out, the church said they were bad. And the world said, hey, let's do this. You know, the church has just always been a little slow, little slow, little slow, little slow. But the reason all these religions use chanting and reciting and declaring and saying something is because the devil knows it works. God invented it. God thought it up. Are you here? And it's supposed to work. But the reason it doesn't work so many times in our churches and for our Christians is because they're not really saying it from here like they did when they started. It's become a vain and repetitious babbling that they're saying from here because it's the churchy thing to do. You know, every time some minister stands up that we like, maybe Brother Copeland, for example, stand up and make some declaration that really he means from the bottom of his heart, he means it right out of his very spirit, and he'll say something like, I tell you what, you're blessed and highly favored of God. You understand me? And so the church starts saying, I'm blessed and highly favored, and they mean it. But after six months, a year, two years, three years, you walk into church and say, hey, bud, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. You're what? I'm blessed and highly favored. They don't even, I mean, they're, they're, you know, it, it's not out of here anymore. 
it, it has become a vain and repetitious babbling. It's a good thing to say. It's a Bible truth. But if it's coming from here, it's not going to work. If it's coming from here, I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. Thank you. God blesses me. God blesses my home. God blesses my family. God blesses me. I have favor of Almighty God. I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. How are you doing? It comes out of here. It has, it's a word with profit. But when it comes out of here, I'm blessed and highly favored. It's a vain and repetitious babbling, and then you wonder why you're not blessed and why you're not highly favored. Why doesn't that work? I heard Pastor Mike preach this 13 times, and I, I tried it four times, and it didn't work. Well, it will work, but it needs to be a spirit thing and not a vain and repetitious babbling. It needs to come out of your heart and out of your spirit and not out of your head. We do the same thing with songs. They throw the songs up on the wall, you know, and, and up on the screen, and, and we sing. And, and, and while you're, you've sang those songs so many times that when you first started singing them and first heard it the first time, you thought, dear God, that's powerful. Pretty soon you don't even hear it anymore. Pretty soon you're, you're mouthing the words because they're right there in front of you. But your brain's on what we're going to do when we get out for lunch and who are we going to meet and what are we going to do and, and I've got to pay this bill and I've got to pick up the kids and tomorrow I've got, a, I've got an appointment. And, but you're still saying the words. They just don't mean anything. You understand what I'm saying to you? See, you can say the same words different ways. And depending on the tone you use, the look that you use, it means different things. You can use the same word. You can say, I love my wife. Then you say, I love pizza. I love football. I love my dog. I love my cat. I love boating. I love to go fishing. I love to go hunting. I, I, you know, I love watermelon. I, 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 you know, it's the same word. But it has vastly different meanings. Amen? Years ago, Jackie and I were in a, I don't know, some southern state right on the coast on our way to Florida, and we stopped off somewhere, I don't know, Alabama, Georgia, somewhere. And uh, went in one of these little tourist stops, you know, a bunch of shells and stuff. And, and, uh, and our kids were little, and, and uh, our, uh, one of our daughters was just a, just a toddler i think we only had three kids at the time instead of four and uh and the baby was just a baby and uh, Lori was was uh you know just jackie always had these little ringlet curls and stuff she's real cute little and jackie was carrying her uh with Lori's back to her, her like this and Lori facing out and she's probably i don't know 15 months old or something like that and uh we were down in this in this tourist shop and uh this little lady came up two little ladies Kind of blue-haired, you know, look like they're about 300 years old, and and, uh, and 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 walked up to us, and and this little lady reached up and pinched Lori's cheeks like this, and she said, "Oh, God bless its heart," like that. And Jackie said, responding to the words, Jackie said, "Thank you." He does. The little lady said, "What?" And Jackie repeated herself, "Thank you." He does. She said, "He, he who." Said, and Jackie said, God. And she said, God? God? Jackie said, yes. And the lady's just totally blank. 
And Jackie said, ma'am, you said God bless her heart. And I said, thank you, he does. God does bless her heart. She said, oh, oh, God bless, yeah, okay. But, you know, she had probably said that 10,000 times. She would probably pinched the cheeks of 10,000 babies. And, and, and just that's just what she said. That was, she didn't hear it. She didn't mean it. She didn't know she said it. It's just vain and repetitious. Oh, God bless its heart and go on about your business. Now, I'm assuming she, you know, had a nice thought behind it. But she didn't hear it. It wasn't a word with profit. Are y'all here? You know, I'm a West Texas boy, and I grew up with rattlesnakes. And we had rattlesnakes in the backyard and rattlesnakes in the playground and rattlesnakes in the house and rattlesnakes in the garage. And I mean, you know, I just grew up with rattlesnakes. Not because not I wanted to, not voluntarily. I'm not talking about we played with them in church. I'm talking about, I'm talking about we, we lived in the same town. They were just, they were there before we got there. And, uh, and I never, ever, ever, ever met a rattlesnake that I liked. And I never, ever, ever met one I didn't kill. If I met one today, I'd kill it. And you, what I'm trying to tell you is you, you, you have to understand the enemy. And you have to despise the enemy. And you have to understand what the enemy is there for, what his purpose is for. There's no such thing as a good rattlesnake. There's no such thing as a pet rattlesnake. There's no such thing as saying, come here, honey, just cuddle up here with mom, let me pet you. No, if you put one in your pocket, at some point he's going to bite you and you're goofy if that upsets you because that's what he's there for. He's a rattlesnake. That's what he does. He's a bad guy. Are y'all here? You know, in South Texas right now, the, 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 the government studies they're doing, they're saying that the rattlesnakes actually now are, are evolving to where they're not even rattling before they strike. That's not fair. At least they used to, at least they used to tell us. They used to at least tell us they're there. But they're saying they're evolving to a point now that because there's so many wild pigs in South Texas, and, and that when a pig hears a rattlesnake rattle, he runs over and eats it that they're evolving to the point that they just now strike without rattling. Now, I don't, know, I don't know how they got that smart, and I don't know which rattlesnake lived through the pig attack to tell the others not to do it. <laughs> I, that may be an opposition of science falsely, falsely so-called. I don't know. But, uh, you know, that, that statement, I don't want anybody to think, oh, yeah, these Christians, they don't, they don't believe in science. They don't believe in science. Oh, no, 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 we, we believe in science. We just believe that the Word of God trumps it. I believe cancer is real and it's going to kill you. I just believe you can take the Word of God and kill it. I'm not opposed to science. I don't have a problem with science. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just to the point, I'm, I'm not going to settle for it when I know the Word of God says I, I can do something else. That the Word trumps science. Amen? Does that make sense to you? So my point is the enemy is the enemy and needs to be treated like the enemy. There's no such thing as you and the rattlesnake trying to get along. 
You know, our, our, our dear president right now, and this isn't a political statement at all, it's just that he, he best I can figure watching him, he's not a military guy. He's an academic. He's a, he's a man of letters, okay? I'm a military guy. I'm kill them all. Let God sort out his own. You know, he's not a military guy. He's an academic. He's a man of letters. And his philosophy seems to me, as I watch him these last bunch of years, seems to me his philosophy is always, hey, we can go to anybody, sit down, have a beer, and talk it out. But see, he doesn't know rattlesnakes. He doesn't understand that doesn't work with bad guys. You can't just go sit down with terrorists and have a beer and talk it out. Because as soon as you shake hands and turn your back, he's going to get you. That's what a rattlesnake does. doesn't mean the president's a bad guy. It just means he, 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 he doesn't understand dealing with bad guys. Oh, you understand? Oh, that's not nice. You understand what I'm saying to you? When you see a rattlesnake, you have to treat it as a rattlesnake. You know, you know I pray for the sick all the time, and I have miracles all the time, and I, I despise disease. I see disease as a rattlesnake. I see disease as the terrorist. There's no nice disease. There's no nice cancer. There's no, oh, it's just a sweet little cancer that's going to help you out and teach you a lesson. No, 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 no. All disease, all cancer, all disease was brewed in the cauldrons of hell with one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to kill you. It it has no purpose other than to kill you. Its job is to kill you. You can't have a beer with it and talk it out. It, 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 you can't come to an agreement and a negotiation with it. I tell people this sometimes, and I know this sounds hard, but sometimes I tell people, listen to me. They say, well, brother, I've got cancer, but you know it's okay. And blah, blah. I say, listen to me. Listen to me. One of you is going to die. Either you're going to die or the cancer is going to die. But this is a life and death thing, and it, the end of this is going to be death for somebody. You can't coexist with this thing and act like it's not a big deal because your words are becoming vain and repetitious babblings, words without profit, and it's going to get you in trouble. Hello? When, when a disease attacks your body, you need to treat it like a rattlesnake. You need to treat it like the enemy that it is. You need to treat it like the devil that it is. You need to have absolute disdain and disgust for it, not for the sick person. Somebody gets sick, sometimes the church turns on and says, what would you do wrong? And shame on you. That, that, that's horrible. No, never do that. It's not the person's fault. Are you listening to me? But, you know, in church sometimes we get mixed messages. Sometimes we preach on the blood of Jesus and the authority of Jesus and the authority of the believer and, and all the good stuff in the Word of God. And then we, we, we tend to, if we don't watch out, we slide over into one of these real passionate moments where we'll say, boy, the devil's no threat to you at all. Well, I know what we mean when we say that. We're talking about Jesus beat him and, and the blood beats him and the, and the Word beats him and everything else. But, but, it, but it sends mixed messages to the church. They, they begin to think, oh, he's no threat? Okay, well, then I'll let it down. No, no, he's, he is a threat. He's always a threat. That rattlesnake's always a threat. That terrorist is always a threat. You don't turn your back on them. You don't turn your back on the rattlesnake just because you're, you you got the blood of Jesus and the Word of God. No, you don't turn your back. It ought to make you mad. The terrorism ought to make you mad. The, the rattlesnake ought to make you mad. The cancer ought to make you mad. We need to get mad at whatever is attacking us or our family and take authority and dominion. 
See, what are we going to do when they knock on our door and say, are you a Christian? They're killing those people. They're slaughtering those people daily for no other reason except they're a Christian. And thank God for the people's faith in their heart that they're willing to die for Jesus. But my point is they don't have to. Somebody should teach them authority and dominion. Amen? You know, I teach a lot on spiritual authority. Pastor Mike's had me come out twice to teach. Uh, I did, what, three or four days out here once on spiritual authority. I teach a lot on spiritual authority because it's the thing that puts us over. It's the thing that works. We've been given spiritual authority, but it's not a passive thing. It's, a, it's an aggressive thing. Amen? And Christians need to watch out with these mixed messages. I remember when one of some, when the, remember when the school shootings first started, you know, around the time of Columbine and some of those things, there were just several school shootings and, and, and several Christian kids were, were picked out and killed. And uh, I literally had parents come to me in church after church across America. I literally had sweet Christian people come up to me and say, Oh, Brother Terry, you know, all these school shootings, you know, you know uh, maybe my child will get to be a martyr. Every time I'd grab them and shake them and say, bite your tongue. You don't want your child to be a martyr. What's wrong with you? To get rid of that Christian goofiness. Well, maybe my child will get to be a martyr. No! You don't want your child to be a martyr or murdered. It's more murder than martyr. I told his parents, you go out to your child's school and march around that thing seven times and shout and tell the devil that belongs to you and no devil's coming on that school ground. Amen? You take authority and dominion that these are my kids are here because my kids are here, then I've got spiritual authority. The God said the place where I tread the sole of my foot, I can have it. I have dominion. I have authority. My kids are in this school because my kids are in this school. All the rest of them are blessed. Amen? Are y'all here? And we need to understand that. You know, you know if, you, if you leave for work in the morning, are you there? kid leaving to school, whatever. And you got this little puppy that just loves you and follows you out of the house, tongue hanging out and tail wagging. And you turn around and see that the dog's following you. And you say, oh, honey, go home, go home. You can't go to work with me. You can't go to school with me. He'll just wag his tail and just, just you know, hey, everything's great. And you walk a little bit. When you turn now, honey, go home. Now go on. You can't go with mama today. You can't go with daddy today. You need, you need to go home. Now go. He'll just wag his tail and just follow you. Now, honey, now, it's, it's dangerous out here. You get hurt if you're out here. And you go home. Now go, go on, go on. You know, he'll just follow you and wag his tail. But if you say, go home, all of a sudden he'll go home. And that's exactly the way Christians need to be with the devil and with all the rest of this stuff. You're gonna, you can't, you can't. You can't sit down and have a beer with the devil and hope that if I don't bother you, you won't bother me. See, martyrdom, I don't want to get into a big deal on this thing, but there is, there is martyr. There, there is martyrdom. There are martyrs. We don't understand a lot about that as a church. We don't know a lot about it. But we see it in the Bible in a few places. But, but just because you're a Christian and just because you get murdered doesn't mean you're a martyr or that God wanted you to be a martyr. And most of these Christians now that we're talking about on the news all the time in all these different countries are being slaughtered, we're calling them martyrs, and martyrs they are because they're being murdered for the cause of Christ because they're Christian. Yet my, my point is I don't think God wants them to be martyrs. 
Now, God does have martyrs. Again, we don't understand all we know about that. There are martyrs in the Bible. There are martyrs today, but that's few and far between. Most of the time, God wants your deliverance. In fact, every time he wants your deliverance, unless he specifically wants you to be a martyr. Are you here? But just killing Christians wholesale are not martyrs. Not by heaven's standard, not by God wanting them to be martyrs. You know, Hebrews tells us that there were people in the Bible that were martyrs. But it, tells, it also tells us this, it's Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us that, that they refused, those martyrs, it says they refused deliverance. They could have had deliverance. But they refused it hoping to obtain a better reward. Well, see, there was a purpose in that. There was a reason in that. There was a heaven reason in that that we don't understand, don't know much about. But nevertheless, there were some people that, that God qualified as martyrs and they could have been delivered, but they refused to be. But it goes on about a whole list of other people that did, refuse, that did receive deliverance. It said the women had their, had, their, uh, had their dead raised back to life. It says that they, they, they were healed and they were blessed and they were delivered and they were this and they were that and they, all this other stuff. They said then a few of them died refusing, refusing deliverance because they hoped to obtain a better reward. Are y'all here? It's 5 to 11. What time y'all get out of church here on Sunday morning? Uh-oh, we got a mixed. <laughs> you know, I told you this story one of the other times I was here, but let me just say, let me make a point and, 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 and wind this thing down. Um, back when I was 24 years old, living in Mexico as a missionary, uh, I picked up a hitchhiker in a little town called Zacatecas, Mexican man hitchhiking, asking for a ride. And I thought, well, I'm here to win souls, so this guy's a candidate, so I'll stop and pick him up. And I stopped and picked this guy up. He got in the car, and we took off down the road. And, I, and I'm, uh, I've got a tape in, in, the, in the player by, by Kenneth Copeland on the integrity of the Word of God, and Kenneth's preaching. And, uh, and, and I'm driving about 80 miles an hour and, and on this straightaway because I'm going to hit some mountains pretty soon and going to be really, really slow. But on this straightaway, I'm, I'm driving pretty fast. And, and uh, again, I'm 24 years old. I've got a wife and two babies in Guadalajara. I'm going back to them. I've been, I've been on a trip coming back. And, uh, and I'm just sitting there thinking in Spanish to get my Spanish together so I can witness to this guy in Spanish and get him saved. And so I'm not paying attention to him. I'm just I'm thinking in Spanish, and Kenneth's preaching, and I'm driving. And, and all of a sudden, I turned to say something to the guy. And when I did, he reached in his coat and pulled out a pistol. And he cocked the hammer on the pistol and reached over and just shoved it hard into my ribs and reached over his left hand and caught my collar. So I'm, I'm driving the car like this, and he's got my collar pulled over like that, and then got this gun in my ribs and got the hammer cocked and his finger on the trigger, and he screamed at me and said, I'm going to kill you, only in Spanish. Stay boy, I'm my tired. And uh, it made me mad. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm a man of God, and I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. Well, that messed him up. But he yanked on my collar and poked me at that gun. He said, I said, I'm going to kill you. And I said, and I said, I'm a man of God, and I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. I mean, it made me as mad as if he'd been a rattlesnake in West Texas. <laughs> in fact, I've thanked God so many years. You can't imagine how many years I've thanked God that I didn't have a gun in my car like I normally did in Texas. 
The only reason I didn't, because in Mexico, you go to jail for that. And so as a nice little missionary, I had left my guns home. But all my life in Texas, I had a pistol under my seat. And I, I just thank God for years and years and years and years. Thank God I didn't have a pistol in my, in my, under my seat, you know, because then I did what I needed to do. I used the word of God instead of doing something else because the weapons of our warfare are what? <laughs> They're not carnal. But, you know, an old Texan grabbing a gun, that's just kind of, I mean, I've done that all my life. Are y'all here? So anyway, Kenneth's preaching. I'm driving. He's threatening to kill me. And uh, this, we're going back and forth, back and forth. He tells me what he's going to do. I'm telling him what he can't do. can't do it because of the Word says it. He's telling me he's going to do it. I'm telling him he can't do it, and I'm going to do it, and you can't do it. And, uh, and so uh, he finally said to me, he said, What's the matter with you? Aren't you scared? No tienes miedo. I said, no, I'm not scared. I said, why should I be scared? All, all you've got is a loaded gun. I've got the name of Jesus. I win. Well, that made no sense to him whatsoever. It made no sense to him. See, what you say is not going to make sense to the world. It's not going to make sense to the world because they don't think like you think. They don't talk like you talk. He said, well, lately the church started talking like them. That's another sermon. We don't need vain and repetitious babblings trying to talk like the world. Are you here? Because they're words of no profit. I needed words that had profit when I was in that situation. See, what I'm talking to you about today is being blood warriors. Blood warriors. Say blood warriors. See, we're warriors of the covenant. We're warriors of blood. We're, 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 we're in this thing to win. We're blood warriors. I remember years and years and years ago, I, I, I was in my 20s. And I remember one day uh, Kenneth Copeland and I were at a meeting together and, and uh, I said something about, you know, being a missionary. And, you know, Kenneth's kind of wild and dramatic. And, boy, he grabbed me and poked my, his finger in my chest and backed me up against the wall. He said, boy, don't you ever call yourself a missionary again. You're an apostle of Almighty God. You're a blood warrior. You know, dear Lord, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> but we just have to be about that passionate about it, that we're blood warriors. We're blood warriors. Jesus shed blood, and that's why we do what we do. That's why we can do what we can do. Amen? Warriors of blood. Blood warriors. And, and we're, not, we're not pacifists in this fight. We are warriors. We're, we're not just to sit around singing kumbaya, shaking hands, having a beer, hoping the devil will be nice. We're, we're warriors. That we, we have an enemy. He is a threat. He wants to kill you. He woke up this morning wanting to kill you. Are you here? And we need to make headlines in hell. We need to cause panic in the regions of the damned. We need to put fear and terror in the outer darkness. When you woke up this morning, hell ought to have gotten scared and said, oh my God, what are they going to do now? Isn't that right? See, in the book of Acts, it tells us that, it tells us that Seven Bible school boys, seven preachers, young preachers, seven sons of a priest, saw a guy that was demon-possessed. One guy. They saw one guy. Seven guys saw one guy. And so these seven preacher boys, it says it, they took it upon themselves to cast out these devils. So they went over to this demon-possessed guy, and they said to the devils, they said, you devils come out of him. In the name of this Jesus that Paul preaches about. Those devils said, what? 
Jesus that Paul preaches about, these guys don't know what they're talking about. And they said, they said, let me tell you something. They said, Jesus, we know. He makes headlines in hell on a daily basis. Paul, we know. He makes headlines in hell, causes panic in the regions of the damned on a daily basis. We never heard of you guys in hell. You had never made a headline. You don't even know who you're talking about. You don't even know Jesus. You're talking about Jesus that Paul preaches about. And so one guy jumped on seven guys. One guy beat up seven guys. One guy tore the clothes off of seven guys. And one guy chased seven naked guys down the street. (laughs) Simply because they used the name of Jesus. But it was a vain and repetitious babbling. Amen? It meant nothing to them. There was no power in it. A lot of times people come to me, you know, they'll say in the church, oh, the name of Jesus has power. Well, I understand what we mean when we say that, but, but sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. It depends on who's using it. It depends on how it's being used. And it depends on if you know the Jesus you're talking about or not. You know, Jesus, the name of Jesus has also become a cuss word. You know, people hit their thumb with a hammer they say jesus christ well that, there's no power in that or they go around all day long saying, oh jesus oh jesus oh jesus oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god oh jesus oh my god there's no power in any of that those are vain and repetitious babbling you know sometimes we come in to pray over our meal and we we, we sit and we say you know good bread good meat good god let's eat Rub-a-dub-dub, thank you for the grub. You know, wh- whatever we say. But, you know, sometimes it's such a vain and repetitious babbling. We all just write it on a piece of paper and tape it to the wall. And when we sit down, we can just point at it and just say, Hey, God, there you Because there's no, there's no oomph in it. It's coming from here. It's not coming from here. You know, y'all, y'all come travel with me to some jungles and eat some monkey and some worms and some, and some dog and some cat and some other stuff I've eaten, some snake and stuff. And, and you, you'll, you'll learn to bless your food from in here. You'll pray over your food. Oh, God, I call this food blessed. You bless my bread and my water and take sickness from my midst in Jesus' name. Right? You know, you'll pray from here instead of praying from here. But those words are words without profit. Anyway, back to this hitchhiker thing, and I need to let you go. Um, uh, He he said, you know, what's wrong with you? And, And it messed him up because I wasn't scared because they pray on fear. The bad guys always prey on your fear, always prey on fear. And uh, the first thing that happened to me whenever he stuck that gun in my, in my gut was it scared me. My heart jumped up my throat. But I immediately recognized the fear. Immediately I said, oh, this is fear, this is bad. And so I immediately said, fear, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, you foul, tormenting spirit. Fear, the word says fear has torment. And the word says that, that, that love casts out fear and God's love. And I've got God. God's not giving me the spirit of fear, but the spirit of love, power, and sound mind. And fear, you get out of here. You leave me alone in Jesus' name. So I never dealt with fear another time. I wasn't scared the rest of the time. And um, T.L. Osborne told me years later, he said, Terry, he said, you, you, weren't, you, you, weren't, you really weren't scared. I said, no, I wasn't scared. I was mad. Righteously indignant, upset. How dare you, devil, do this to a missionary, to a man of God? And so, uh, and, and, and so, I'd already dealt with the fear. Kenneth still preaching. I let him preach. I figure that's a good time to let him just go on and preach. And uh, and I and I, I said out loud to the Lord. I said, Father, Jesus said in Luke ten nineteen that He gave me authority 
or power over A-double-L, all the power of the enemy, and nothing, no thing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, I spelled it for God, no thing shall by any means hurt me. That means this man, his gun, his bullets cannot, cannot hurt me. So therefore, if he pulls the trigger, I expect you must, M-U-S-T, must do something with the bullets for your covenant's sake. Not for my sake, for your covenant's sake, for you're the faithful God that keepeth covenant. Now, I won't go through the whole story, but, the, but, but he ended up shooting at me five times at point-blank range, and the bullets didn't hit me. He ended up putting his gun right between my head. He said, if you say another word, I'll kill you. I said, you can't kill me. I, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You don't have authority. I, I'm, I'm a man of God. got authority in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. hurt me anyway. And he shot at me five times, point-blank range. It's just a matter of a, just a few feet, way closer than I, way closer than I am to you. Just a, it's a matter of face-to-face. And the bullets didn't hit me. Now, I don't know how God did that, and that's not even the point of the story. The point of the story is this, that for years and years, I've had two or three Christians come up to me in some, some service somewhere. It may happen again today. I don't know. Some come up to me after some service and say, you know, Brother Terry, you should have died out there. Just be upset at me because I use faith. And say, God wants you to be a martyr. You should have been a martyr. Just think of all the glory that would have brought to God. What glory? What glory? What good have I done? If I let that guy shoot me out there, throw me out there in the cornfield, take my car and get away, my wife and two babies never see me or hear from me again, to what purpose? God doesn't get any glory out of that. They come knock on your door and say, you a Christian? You say, yeah, and they say, okay, we're killing you. What, what glory? What glory does God get out of that? Now, there are martyrs. All the apostles were martyred, every one of them, with the exception of the apostle John, and they tried to martyr him. They, they boiled him in oil, and he just wouldn't die. He just said, oh, it's a nice hot oil bath. And so then they, then they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. Since they couldn't kill him, they exiled him to Patmos for going to make him serve out a sentence on this little desert, terrible island. And, and he wrote a little book there called the Book of Revelation. And when he got through with his sentence, he came back home and lived out his life. He's the only one of the apostles that lived his life out to a full and, and a ripe old age. But all the others were martyred, including Jesus. But they refused the reward. They did it on purpose. Pilate and Herod said to Jesus, Hey, boy, don't you know how powerful we are and who we are? Don't you know we can kill you? Don't you know we can crucify you? And Jesus said, You little pygmy of a man. Don't you know you have no power except what's given to you by God? Don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels? Now, there's 6,000 to a legion. Six times 12, 72. Have you ever seen 72,000 mad angels? I mean, these guys are warriors, right? Angels are warriors. They're not just little naked babies with stubby wings floating on a cloud and playing a harp. Man, these are the guys that took Pharaoh's chariot wheels off in the Red Sea. These are the guys that in Joshua chapter 10, whenever Joshua and the children of Israel were attacked by five enemy armies, five kings with five armies, it said the angels took hailstones and killed the bad guys and Joshua 10 says more of the enemy died from the hailstones than died in the war I mean these guys up there throwing spitballs and knuckleballs at the bad I mean killing these guys with with hailstones these are bad dudes are you here and Jesus said don't you know 
You little pygmy of a man with zero power, don't you know I could call 72,000 mad warrior angels and there wouldn't be anything left of this place but a bloody... But I won't. So help me God I won't because I'm here on purpose. You're playing into my hand. I'm not playing into your hand. You're not doing this to me. I'm, I'm doing this on purpose. Well, let me tell you something, hotshot. You don't take my life. I give it. Isn't that right? That's what Jesus said. He said, you don't take my life. I give it. They tried to kill him lots of times. Tried to push him off a cliff. Tried to stone him. Tried to do all that. He wouldn't die. Not until he was ready. Tried to kill Paul a number of times. He wouldn't go until he was ready. Then he said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to go ahead and go. But see, there was glory out of that. There was purpose for that martyrdom. There's no purpose in just indiscriminately killing Christians except the fact that the Christians need to go to this church. They need to be taught the word of God. They need to be taught faith. They need to be taught dominion. Amen. Thank God for Mike and Beth Webb. Thank God for people that will stand without compromise and not just follow the, the, you know, the, 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 the favorite little theme of the day and preach the truth and preach the word that'll work in your lives and you're not just going around with vain and repetitious babblings and not, not recognizing an enemy when it comes. But you've got authority and power and dominion to get the job done. Amen. So I want to continue this tonight and uh, talk to you about being blood warriors. I want to share some testimonies with you, share some things with you, and then I want to pray for you and have a miracle service, believe God. And, and I, I tell you, you know, as I travel the, the nation uh, these years, I find that a lot of churches don't even pray for the sick anymore. I know that's not true here. Uh, and you all have healing school every Sunday night. How powerful is that? A lot, most churches don't even have Sunday night service anymore. Because, uh, but, I, but I see a lot of churches don't pray for the sick anymore. They just have their Sunday morning service and go home and don't even have a Sunday night service. And, and, and yet, when I go in and, and offer to pray for the sick, if I call for a prayer line, I mean, the thing will just be packed. It's like, look at all these people that need touch. Look at all these people that need healing. And yet, they're not being prayed for. They're not being helped. And, uh, you know, the church, at some point, is going to have to come back to being the church. And, of course, persecution will do that. So it, it's going to happen. We are going to be a strong church again. Uh, but uh, we might as well just be strong on purpose and not go through some of the nonsense that other people are going to have to go through to get them serious with God. Isn't that right? Thank God, thank God, thank God. Did you get anything out of all this today? Yeah, it's 11.15. Praise the Lord. Everybody say blood warrior. Vain and repetitious babblings are not going to get the job done. Our words have got to be on purpose. They've got to be with profit. They've got to come out of our spirit. We've got to mean what we say, say what we mean, treat the enemy like an enemy. Amen? No quarter for the devil, no quarter for the enemy, no quarter for cancer, AIDS, HIV, or whatever other disease has come. It, 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 it has no purpose but to kill you. Poverty has no purpose but to kill you. There's no such thing as good poverty, no such thing as good sickness or disease. The church is meant to overcome. The church is meant to overcome, to overcome, to overcome. The church is meant to be conquerors more than. They should be looking us up in the yellow pages under conquerors more than. Amen. I realize half the audience doesn't know what yellow pages are, but that's okay. <clears throat> they should be Googling us under, under conquerors more than. Stand up with me. Praise the Lord. 
Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for a church triumphant. Thank you for this great church. Thank you for this church, this pastor, this congregation, this people that are a lighthouse to you. Father, use them as the great lighthouse you've called them to be, to shine the glorious light of the gospel to the nations, shine the light where the light's dim and name the name of Jesus where it's not been named. Use them to stand up and stand tall and speak words with profit, words with power, words with dominion, words from your word that will create and that will heal, that will cure, will, will deliver, will cast out devils, will raise the dead. Father, the name of Jesus on their lips will raise the dead. The name of Jesus on their lips will open blind eyes. The name of Jesus on their lips will open deaf ears. The name of Jesus on their lips will cast out devils. Thank you for a church, a church of blood warriors that shun and avoid vain and repetitious babblings but declare the word with power, with authority, with dominion. It's not just a memorized thing. It's not just a little thing out of our head that we say that maybe we once meant it, but we've forgotten now that we meant it or what it even means. But we're, we're a people that, that declare the word as a weapon and a tool and dispatch angels. And we thank you for it. Thank you for it. Father, your word is vital to us. And it's vital to get it in our spirit that it comes out. Comes out our mouth at the right time, at the right place. Words with power. Words with profit. Words that will get the job done. Words that we didn't make up or we didn't think of, but that you have spoken them from heaven. And therefore, they're filled with power. They're faith words. They're power words. They're warrior words. And I thank you for it. Help us, Father, to be very to, to re-examine our words, to make sure we're speaking from our spirit, not our head. Even just in the day as we go along and some little sneeze comes or some little thing comes, and we just sometimes just because it's out of habit, we just say, oh, I'm not getting that in Jesus' name. Oh, 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 I'm not taking that in Jesus' name. Oh, I'm, I'm healed by the service. Let's make sure that comes from our spirit, not just off the top of our head because we've been trained to say it. But that we speak it when it when it when we speak it it comes as a it comes out of our mouth as a sword, as a sword. Speak in the word of God. Speak in the name of Jesus. Declare in the word of God, and I thank you for it. Thank you, Father. We give you the glory, the honor, the power, the majesty, dominion in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Everybody just put your hand on yourself and put one hand up to heaven where your help comes from. Let me pray for you real quick. Even though I'm going to pray for healing tonight, let me, let me pray a healing prayer now just in case some of you aren't going to be here. Father, in the name of Jesus, confirm your word this morning. Fall in the house. Holy Spirit, anointing, fall in this place. Destroying anointing, fall in this place. Destroy cancer. Destroy HIV, destroy AIDS, destroy lupus and leukemia. I speak healing to our blood, healing to our bones, healing to healing, miracles, deliverance, restoration in the name of Jesus.
You've not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of love, the spirit of power, and the spirit of a sound mind. Father, I speak healing to our mind. Be no neurological diseases, but healing to our mind. In this day and age, the, the, the society is fighting such neurological diseases and, 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 and Parkinson's and, 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 and MS, things that, things that put people in captivity in their mind as well as their body. It's devilish and demonic whenever someone just has to be locked away and they don't know their own name, they don't know their husband, they don't know their wife, they don't know their children, they don't know their grandchildren. It's not right and it's not God. You said you give us the spirit of a sound mind. I speak soundness, the spirit of a sound mind to every person in this place in Jesus' name. We'll not be in captivity and in prison in our mind, not be in captivity and prison in our body, but free, free, healed, well, strong, whole, healthy to the glory of God. And we thank you for it. Now, body, you line up with the Word of God. Be healed. Be healed in Jesus' name. Every spirit called infirmity, you hear me now? Loose this people. Get out of them in the name of Jesus. And trouble them no more. In Jesus' name. No chronic illnesses. No illnesses that go and come and go and come. No, you go You go this time and you don't come back in Jesus' name. In disease, you hear me now, for you're a living thing and a living enemy. I despise you by Almighty God with everything that's within me, and I curse you as Jesus cursed the fig tree. And it died and withered and dried up from its life source, from its roots. I curse you, disease. You die. There's a power of life and death in the tongue. I speak death to you. Die in the name of Jesus. Die from your roots. Die from your life source. Get out of their body in the name of Jesus. And Father, by the same scripture, I speak life to the people of God. The Zoe life of God. Live. Live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Now just put your other hand up and thank Him for it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, thank you. We curse tumors, man, them disappear in Jesus' name. Strong bones, strong bodies, strong systems in Jesus' name. Thank you. Blood, 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 blood. Be healed in your blood. Be healed in your bones. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for miracles. Thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glory to God. All right, you can put your hands down. It's important when we pray for you, and I know this was just a quick little prayer, but nevertheless, I've, I've... I I tend, uh, the Holy Ghost tends to know what he's doing and have miracles that way, and I tend to pray that way a lot. So, but it's important to do what you couldn't do. Instead of just walking out, just go ahead and say, you know, he prayed, the anointing went in me, and so I couldn't lift this arm this high, but I'm going to just, I'm going to get it up there. Or I couldn't bend over, or I couldn't twist, or I couldn't stomp my foot, or my knee was in problem, so I'm going to just check it out. I mean, push your miracle. Make your miracle happen. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, should there be one here this morning who's not saved, not born again? Maybe they're visiting or they've, they've come in and uh, maybe they came in expecting to hear Pastor Mike today and he's out of town. But Father, I, I, I pray, I pray that you speak to them and talk to them. Love on them right now. Love on them right now. You love them. They're special to you. They're valuable to you. 
Maybe nobody's ever told them they're valuable before, but they're, they're so valuable to you. You love them so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for them that they would not go to hell, that they'd be saved, they'd be born again, they'd be rescued. So, Father, if they're here this morning, love on them now. Touch them now. Speak to them now. Minister to them now. In Jesus' name. So many times, Father, it's a, it's a misnomer when us Christians say things like, hey, if you get saved, you'll live forever. Well, well they're going to live forever anyway, somewhere. Everybody's going to live forever, somewhere. For eternity and eternity and eternity. We're going to live forever either in the presence of God in heaven or without God in hell. We're going to live forever somewhere. So, Father, cause that truth to get to them now, to their heart. And rescue them today. Save them today. Now, if that's you, if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you, you've never asked the Lord to come into your heart or forgive your sins, you're, you're not a Christian, you're not born again, I'm trying to use as many catch words as I can because people call it different things, but we call it salvation, we call it being saved, we call it being born again, we call it coming, coming to the Lord, accepting Jesus, repenting of your sins. Uh, uh, but if you've not done that and you know it, if you died today and you don't know where you'd spend eternity because you're going to spend it somewhere, either with God or without Him, when you don't know today, you're not sure where you'd spend eternity, then you can make sure. The Bible says today is the accepted time of salvation. Now, now is the accepted time of salvation. Today. So don't put it off. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. So if that's you, every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you just lift your hand, I'll see it. I'll pray for you. By lifting your hand, you're saying, Terry, pray for me. I need to come to Jesus. I need to accept Jesus. I'm not born again, but I want to be. In my heart, I know I need to come to Jesus. If you'll raise your hand, I'll see it. There's one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll see it, and I'll pray for you. Anybody else? Terry, pray for me. I need to come to Jesus. I need to accept Jesus. I need to make some things right. I've I've had people say to me over the years, Brother Terry, if I died today, I know I wouldn't go to heaven because there's just some things in my heart that are between me and God. They're standing in the way. They're standing between me and God. I just can't quite get there. So if that's you, you can fix that today. Last time, anybody, Terry, I need prayer. I need prayer. I I I need help. I need to come to Jesus. Anybody, anybody, anybody? If your heart's beating kind of fast and you're thinking, I, I, I should have lifted my hand. Well, God's talking to you. He's talking to you. He's loving on you. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, you can put your heads, your hands down and you, you can look up this way. Um, one person did lift their hands. I'm not going to ask them to come down here, but I am going to ask them to repeat a prayer with me, but I need all of you to repeat it with me. That way I won't feel uncomfortable and they won't feel uncomfortable. We can just pray together. But uh, it's important that we do this. It's important that we say a few things that the Bible tells us to say and do some things the Bible tells us to do. So everybody just say this out loud, loud enough for your own ears to hear it. Say, Father, I come before you today to accept Jesus. I believe in my heart Jesus is the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin. He lived on this earth as a man. He died on the cross for me. The third day he rose again, and he's alive today. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me a new creature. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. I'll serve you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
Now that one person that raised their hand uh, after service, tell, tell somebody, see one of these gentlemen in the white uh, shirts with short sleeve white shirts, the, the ushers, or come see me or, or any, anybody you recognize that, that's a part of the church because church is family. We, we don't want you to fall through the cracks and get lost. We, we want to know what happened to you. And This is Foothill Family Church. It, it's about family. And Pastor Mike is a shepherd of the sheep. He's a father like one. So, so that's what church is about. And we don't want you just to, just to leave. Somebody needs to give you some, you know, get your address, get your name, give you some literature. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, help you get a Bible. I mean, we, we care about you. So uh, see somebody. And if you don't know who to see, just come up here and see me. But uh, anyway, praise God. Tonight's service is at what time? Six. Six o'clock. Right? Six o'clock. All right. I'm going to be here. I trust you're going to be here. And uh, there, are, there are products back at the table. You can swipe your credit card back there as well. Uh, old, old, old book. Brother Copen wrote the forward on this. And John Osteen and Noel Roberts and Pat Boone and everybody else has talked about this book for a long, long time. Uh, my wife, Jackie, has a book, Supernatural Childbirth. And uh, I don't think Renee's book's back there. Not every preacher has both his wife's books on the book table. But, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, there's a series back there called How You Can Be a Hero of Faith. And uh, it's, uh, there's other things back there that will bless you. There's, a, there's, a, there's an audio series on spiritual authority. And then there's a, a video series on spiritual authority. You get one DVD, which is video, that uh, has five hours of teaching on it. It has five 60-minute sessions on it uh, that's back there. If you'd rather do video or if you'd rather do audio, then there's CDs and so on and so forth. So those things will bless you. They'll help you. They'll minister to you. So, Mark, come on up and rescue these folks. <laughs>